0: Thanks for joining us on the Future Food Show. On this episode, we're excited to chat with Jeremy Agresti. Jeremy is the CTO and founder at Triple Bar. He is a pioneer of microfluidics and biology, inventor and author with more than 25 microfluidics-related patents, and publications cited more than 7,000 times. He's a serial entrepreneur whose inventions and patents have formed the basis of its products at 10x Genomics, BioRad, Slingshot, Illumina, and more. He holds a PhD from the MRC Laboratory of Molecular Biology in Cambridge in the UK. On this episode, we really talk about how Triple Bar can speed up developments and advancements within the industry. Jeremy, I would like to welcome you to the Future Food Show. Thanks, Alex. Uh, Awesome to be here. Jeremy, tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Uh, yeah, so I'm a scientist. Um, I, uh, I grew up in Northern California, uh, uh, just outside of Sacramento, I think nearby where you are in, in Davis. And, and uh, I, um, you know, I kind of uh, maybe my my background that got me into science is is a little unusual. I um, I was uh, someone who started my academic career in community college. Uh, I went to Sierra College in, in Rockland out of high school. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that, I think that, you know, i like to bring that up because it, you know, I, I, think that one of the things I've really been grateful for in my career is that I was able to be kind of a late bloomer, uh, in science and, and, uh, you know, st- wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do, like a laser beam out of high school. But, uh, but I, 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 went to community college because that the opportunity existed. And I, uh, I was really inspired by the, especially the non-traditional students that were there. Uh, and I kind of learned from them like what it meant to be disciplined and to be excited about learning and, and, uh, taking evening classes with these people who had, you know, started their, uh, their lives and, and decided to go back to school it was just like really inspirational for me. And, and, uh, so I, uh, so I went to community college for a few years and then I, and then I got my undergraduate at Davis. I studied genetics and biochemistry, uh, learned a lot about population genetics and, and kind of natural evolution. Um, and, um, there was some, uh, what really kind of like sparked me in my career was, uh, you know, having learned about all these natural processes uh, as, a, as an undergraduate, I, I was reading work that was going on in uh, directed evolution uh, in, uh, in the literature at the time. And there was work that was going on in the UK in the lab of a, of a scientist named uh, Sir Greg Winter, who ha- had started to uh, engineer antibodies um, by using a technology called phage display. Um, and the, the thing that kind of blew my mind about that was that um, uh, what what he had shown was that uh, you, the you have these very complex systems in biology and um, and they're basically essentially undesignable systems they're so complex but if you can sort of look at enough potential solutions you can find the answer uh, and and that's really what phase display did it it, it enabled us to engineer antibodies by um, by just creating a whole bunch of antibodies that might work and then selecting them based on their ability to work and, um, and sort of nature solve the problem. And, uh, that just kind of blew my mind. This idea that just large numbers could overcome these undesignable, uh, uh, systems. And, uh, and so I actually went to the UK for, for graduate school, um, in, in Greg's, um, kind of overall department. I, I worked, um, with an amazing scientist named, um, Andrew Griffiths, and what we were doing was um, really taking this concept of large numbers uh, and uh, and applying them to other functions in biology. So, uh, so antibodies binding to a target is one function of biology, but of course there are many, many others. And um, and uh, what we started to think about was like, what are what do we you know what technology needs to exist for us to be able to um, to to kind of apply these large numbers across any number of of um, Things that we want to engineer in biological systems and what that brought us to was miniaturization of test tubes and um and the way that we miniaturized was by creating droplets of water in oil and uh and so uh that that work was uh, uh you know that was something that we we used to engineer enzymes at the time but we had aspirations to engineer many more different functions in biology Um, and the problem was that those, those droplets of water and oil just were not controllable enough to be able to, to really make, uh, you know, really predictable progress. And so, um, then I kind of switched uh, quit, switched uh, tacks a little bit. Um, I actually joined a, a physics lab at Harvard as a postdoc, um, a scientist named um, David Waits, who was working on um, emulsions, uh, but controlling emulsions much more precisely using microfluidic uh, devices. and um, And so, you know, in the same way that we would sort of stir up uh, uh water and oil to make a, essentially like a vinaigrette in our in our in our biology lab in the physics lab we were able to make very precise and uniform uh, droplets of water that we could control just like test tubes and um, and so I and the team there we sort of take took these concepts and and really kind of asked the question um, you know what are the different modules of a function that need to exist in order to um, in order to you um, Uh, kind of recapitulate all the different things that you might do in the lab, uh, but do it at a micro scale and do it much, much faster than you could. And so that enabled us to realize this, this idea of like large numbers, but now for more general functions in biology. And so we use those to, you know, do the same kinds of, uh, of things that I had done before, engineer enzymes, for example, but also to think about how we could use those large numbers to um, barcode single cells to allow uh, single cell genomics or, or to engineer uh, organisms by creating uh, huge populations of diversity in a genome to, and be able to select for improved, uh, improved um, um, strains or cell lines that are producing products. And so that you know that um, that kind of scientific background um, led me into industry, where I joined a company called Amaris, um, which uh, is is a uh, at the time was a biofuels company, uh, and uh, and engineering microorganisms to produce uh, petroleum replacements, and uh, and so. You know what? What I and my team did there was to kind of take these concepts and uh, of, of huge numbers and apply them to engineering organisms to produce materials that that, that we want to use, and um, so my time there at Amherst and then and then uh, and then uh, after Amherst I, I uh, joined a company called biorad which is a which is a really interesting company that you know is probably every single bio lab in the world is a is a customer of biorad uh, they sell a huge range of products across like everything you'd want to do in a in a biology lab And, um, got, you know, there kind of started to think about like, what's, you know, how do we take these ideas of, um, of technology and then make, and make them into, into products. And so I got to lead an R and D team there that was doing some really interesting work with, um, diagnostics and other kind of, uh, tools in biology to enable, um, you know, more accurate, uh, testing for cancer diagnostics and a bunch of other things. Um, and, and, uh, I think that, you know, the. The, what i kind of learned in these various experiences was um uh, was that um you know first of all it, you when you, when a company like ameres uh you know has a mission to 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 do something as important as replacing uh replacing our energy sources you can attract this amazing energy and uh and and that the team at that company uh is um, was and I think still is really amazing uh it's a it's an it was a fantastic place to work and and I'm so happy it was my first uh kind of uh, industry experience where I got to experience like such a, such a, a great energy. And I, that's something that I kind of kept in mind. Like if I ever, if I ever got to start a company, I would want to have that same excitement,
0: the excitement from Amaris.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, you know, I think, I think it still must be great. I haven't worked there for 10 years, but I, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's actually so hard to recruit people from there no, Like no one wants to leave. I think it's such a great place. And, and, uh, and so that, you know, that was a big inspiration to me. Um, I think that you know at Bioread, uh, it's this really interesting company. I think that you know the the uh, you know it's a, it's still run by the founding family after I don't know something like 70, 80 years. Um, the um, it's a really meritocratic organization. You know they have people that lead large R and D teams that don't have PhDs, for example. And I I think that that's I think that that was another kind of cultural touch point that I that I that I took away from from working there, um, and so. You know, around 2018, um, you know, I was, I was still at this point where I'd been kind of working toward, uh, really my career up to that point had been trying to kind of push these ideas of, you know, you, you can, you can solve most of the problems of biology by looking at more numbers, uh, and, and, uh. Uh, the, there, there was a, there was a window where I didn't think that that was being done enough, and um, and the way to do it I thought was to start a company where we could really focus on the key technological things that needed to be completed um, before that could become a reality. And and uh, I I met up with um, uh, Dave Friedberg, who's the the CEO of the Production Board, who's our our first investor, um, and it was really interesting um, that. Um they had a thesis that um you know internally that that um that biology had all this potential but it just that there was some bottleneck that was keeping it from being realized and um and so they kind of were exploring what what might be the bottleneck, and I think they came across some of my uh, academic work and asked me to um to give a, a presentation to them and It turned out that like we had a similar thesis on where the problem lied and and uh you know I had some solutions in mind uh and so we just started this we decided to start the company uh in uh, the end of twenty eighteen early twenty nineteen we we got started
0: and this is as you were maybe internally wrapping things up at BioRad you started having these conversations
1: That's right. Yeah, it was sort of like right at that right at that kind of end of my time at BioRad and and uh left BioRad at the you know the last uh, last part of 2018 and then started Triple Bar in
0: 2019. You mentioned that the transition from Academia to Amaris was actually very smooth. Would you say that?
1: Yeah, it was actually. Yeah, it was uh it was great.
0: Transitioning from Amaris to BioRad was that kind of like a you know, because Amherst was still at the time operating a little bit like a startup or at least Silicon Valley mentality. Was the transition to BioRed a little bit more higher contrast going from Amorous to maybe more industry? I mean, Amorous is industry too, but kind of more traditional biotech industry. Was that also smooth or was it kind of a culture shock?
1: You know, I think, I think that I wouldn't describe it as a culture shock. The culture is different. Um, but you know, I, I kind of, I looked at it as, um, like an opportunity to, to kind of learn different, a different facet of, of industry. Um, you know, the, at Amorous at the time, like they, it was really about, it was really about, you know, research and just trying a lot of things to try to get the first products on, on the market. And, uh, at, at BioRed, there was, there was, a there was much more, I would say, um, not in a disparaging way, but much more maturity around like, like what's really required to ship a product to customers. And, and, uh, and so, so yes, it's a, it's a different set of skills. Um, uh, that, that, that exists there. But I was like really excited to learn about that because I kind of always had it in my mind that in order to really have impact, you have to have a bit of both, right? There has to be, there has to be creativity and, and discovery and, and, um, and, and really pushing new things where there, where there are problems that need to be solved, but you also have to, but you also have to be able to execute on that and, and really kind of make high quality things that, that work, you know, when, when you, when you ship them. And so, so that that was really what I, that's really what I kind of thought I would learn best at at Byrad, and and I think that's that's accurate. That's what that's what it was like.
0: Cool. And so, uh, going back to triple bar, uh, maybe first before we even get into it, you know, where does the name come from? In you know, for this context.
1: Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, triple bar, triple bar is the mathematical symbol for identity, right? It's the if you can imagine like an equal sign with an extra line on top that's, that's the triple bar. And, um, and the name comes from uh, when we started to think about like where the technology we're developing could have the most impact. Um, we, we were, we, you know, we gravitated toward nutrition and, and specifically, you know, making um, um, foods that or, or products for foods that, that were identical to their original source. So, so you can imagine, you know, an animal protein produced by a microorganism instead of a plant-based alternative or, or a cell line um, derived from an animal um, rather than, uh, you know, a soy protein that's been extruded or something like that. So the identical object, the identical peptide, the identical molecule. um, uh, And so that's where the, that's where the name came from. Um, And then the other thing was, I think it kind of has the ring of a ranch uh, and, and, uh, so the, and, and in fact, there are ranches called triple bar that, and it's, a, it's, uh, you know, in this, in this, um, in the West, the, the, the kind of, there's, a, there's a nomenclature for brands for cattle brands. And, and the triple bar is actually one of the, one of the brand identities. And, and, uh, so it kind of has, the, it kind of evokes this like identity. And then it also evokes, um, an agricultural, um, uh, kind of uh connotation as well. And so uh, and so that that's what that's kind of what we decided on.
0: And I like that. And once you said that there are triple R ranch or something like that, it kind of made me feel like, oh yeah, that's kind of a nice ranch or agricultural focused name, even though there was no connection for me. It kind of makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me, I guess for our audience, what is it at a high level that you're working on? And if I'm Correct. You, you, you guys are going beyond just food as well, right? Other materials?
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, really the, the idea behind what we do is that we think we can sort of solve a, a, a really fundamental problem in biology, which is that the, this, the systems that we work in, the organisms and molecules are, are way too complex to design. Kind of goes back to the original inspiration of me joining science. And so because of that, because that broad applicability, we, we, we thought about like, how do we, how do we really enable, um, you know, this idea of the bioeconomy, uh, in, the, in a large sense to, to become a reality. And, and, um, and so we, you know, the way that we kind of asked ourselves when we started the company, like what, like what, what, has held, what has held the, this industry back and, and what would need to be true in order for it to be, um, uh, to be, uh, predictable and mature industry. And so, um, so we work in, in order to, to kind of enable that industry lar- writ large, we, we, we didn't want to be a company where we focused on one product from kind of soup to nuts, from kind of uh, the, the, the idea of the thing all the way through to manufacturing, all the way through to creating, uh, creating products on the shelf for consumers. We thought that the best way to be broad was to, to pick an area that was the actual bottleneck get really good at it. And then, and then partner with companies that have figured out the other parts that um, maybe don't need to be reinvented. Um, and so what we focus on, uh, we call ourselves a, a product design engine. So we work on the kind of the, the discovery and optimization of organisms and, um, uh, cell lines and molecules, uh, that, that, uh, that is, is really the part of the development process that where, you know, companies spend, you know, the spend years of uncertainty to try to discover these things. So so um, so in the case of uh, so the areas we work in are in um, uh, in precision fermentation of proteins where the, the hard part is engineering, um, engineering microbes that produce uh, animal proteins, sometimes toxic things that are toxic to microbes um, at high levels and so that they can, the products can be made cost effectively. And where, you know, my experience and I think others that, that that have been in the industry is that, you know, that, that, that step of finding an organism that performs at scale is the part that takes maybe, you know, many many years and many sometimes tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars to develop and we and and because of the technology we've developed we're able to do that much faster um and and in a much more predictable way and so so we work in that area um, we also apply those same uh, principles to uh to the area of cultivated meat i know it's like a big a big um uh, part of of your podcast um and and really, for us, those two areas uh, there's so much in common. So, so you know, whether we're engineering, uh, you know, a, a, a fat uh, cell line from uh, an animal, or we're engineering a yeast to produce a protein, the same principles and even some of the same methods and technology are used. Um, and so that enables us to be really highly focused on this one part of the problem, um, and uh, and we partner with other companies uh, for the, the other parts. Um, so, uh, so production, for example, uh, or, or marketing and, 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 and sales. Um, I'll stop there. That's two of the areas we work in.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. And I think very direct value add and benefits for the audience of our podcast. It seems like the typical stage in the R&D process that a company would work with Triple Bar is as early as day one. And then I think you mentioned like some sort of scale up or manufacturing consulting opportunities as well. But I wanted to kind of ask you at which stage in the R&D process is kind of like prime for either a precision fermentation or a cultured meat company to start working with Triple Bar?
1: I think that anywhere along that stage is, is actually valuable. Um, so the, so one of the really cool things about a technology like ours is that, um, we can find, uh, that kind of zero to one, uh, step, step, right. So something that hasn't existed and then we, you know, we're able to kind of build it into uh, a production system and, and then get it to the point where it, it, it kind of works. But then also, um, you know, it, you know, oftentimes companies in our, in our field have, have gotten to a certain point And then when they try to scale it, um, there's a, there's a, there's a disconnect between what they thought they, the performance they thought they had and what they actu- actually had. And, and, and we're able to, um, to kind of engineer things that, that are scalable. And so, uh, and so we think we see ourselves as kind of partners with, you know, with, you know, real true partners with the companies we work with, um, to the point where, you know, we, we've, we've announced recently, um, you know, a partnership that we have with a a large, um, dairy company called Friesland Campina. And our partnership is, is to engineer, um, organisms that, that produce, um, produce dairy proteins. Um, but, but it extends not just like, not just from the kind of design of the organism to production. And then we hand it off. We actually, we actually work together, um, throughout scale up and and even into the future for you know, improvements in cost and also and also, um, and also uh, you know any other any other uh, uh, changes that need to be made to the system. So so we see ourselves as, as really long term partners and, and in that case it, it doesn't really matter uh, what stage uh, what stage um, you know we 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 enter the agreement.
0: I see. Okay, I'm sure that your team is working with different types of equipment and hardware. Would you say that your team also creates customizations to hardware or custom hardware, in fact?
1: We do. We do have. There's a there's a hardware component to our technology, and um, and that's that's uh, customized and and we build it um, bespoke for us uh, uh, and. And so that's a that, that is a big part of, of of our platform as a hardware component. We don't sell hardware to other companies. Um, you know that that's one of the things I think I learned uh, at, at BioRad was that um, the you know especially um, in engineering systems that that use um, they are pretty complex, like like microfluidics, can be really hard to support. Uh, In the field uh, to have a customer walk up with an expectation of it just working first time and and to support that can be a real challenge. Um, And so so our approach is really that that um, we can have hardware systems that are that we develop in, in our very skilled uh team operates and is able to modify as needed for you know for the different programs we work on um and that that is a that really is like 90 percent of the engineering burden of a of developing hardware to to when you keep it internally and that and that way we can sort of we can have better systems that are more adapted to the products we work on but then also um uh we, we can, uh, we don't have to worry about all the, all the, all the support that goes along with shipping to customers. Um, you know, I would, ca- I would classify the hardware as, is one part of our platform, the, you know, the organisms and the assays that we work with are, are, are really important and they're not separate from the hardware The the um, you know, that we can't really have a, a system that's really, that really creates a lot of value or really solves problems by just like having a piece of hardware that with that operates in the absence of these other things. And so, so the, we, we have to be able to, um, to have like a deep understanding of the organisms we work with, which are the hosts that produce the products, or sometimes they are the products and, uh, and then the, the measurement systems that we use to, to know that we're measuring the right thing, uh, and that, that when we find something that's improved, it really is improved. And all those things are worked together so tightly that you really can't separate them.
0: Would you say that if there was a company or if there was a team that was kind of lacking the biotech side, could Triple Bar fill in as that biotech side before they get into manufacturing and scale up and things like that?
1: Um, for sure. So uh, the that, that that would be a great partner for us. Actually, is 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 where there's that that really distinct complementarity, um, and so you know we're part of part of our business. Uh, the way we operate our business is to work with companies that um, that you know have a that have part of the part of the value chain figured out, but it's maybe not a biotech part, and uh, and then we want to work with them to provide to provide that that side of it.
0: I'm sure there's a wide range of ways you work with companies, and and let me know if this is too direct of a question, but you know when we speak to groups like Ginkgo, a lot of times they have agreements where ip is also owned on their side it seems like ip is something that triple bar would also own as part of a project am i right with that or are are there a couple different ways to handle it
1: yeah i think that the the bottom line is that um, you know the our partners um, need to have access whether that's through a license or or through ownership uh, so that they're able to kind of sell the products that they that we make together um, and then you know that we also retain uh, parts of the IP so that we can we can uh, you know use them as a as a learning tool and also all for for future projects and also as you know as a starting point for other projects. But usually an agreement would have some exclusivity in a in a region or for a certain product or set of products, that kind of thing.
0: And the exciting thing about that is that at the end of the day, um, you know this is, going to be making new food products more available, something that we definitely need a lot of, especially as we're looking at alternative proteins. Another question I had is like, how early or how small would be a team that's too small to start talking to triple bar? Is there some sort of barrier to entry, whether it's a dollar amount or a process or anything like that? Not at all. I mean, I
1: think, I think it's like, what we're looking for are, 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 are really like partners that, that, that we kind of believe in and, and, uh, we think, we think off, we think can be complimentary to us to kind of, to really bring something to market. And so, um, you know, that we don't, we don't have any, any rules about like who, who we would talk to or when we would talk to someone. Um, we've, we have, you know, uh, announced our agreement with like, I think the third largest dairy product company in the world. That's one. And then we also, we also are in constant conversations with smaller startups about, about different types of products.
0: The office is located in Emeryville. Is that correct?
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: And how big is the team? Not necessarily just at Emeryville, but how big is the team in general?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we're all we're all in Emeryville, pretty much. We have a few people who are remote, but uh, the team's are around 40.
0: 40. Okay, wow. Going back to your experience through academia and then going into the industry and now the startup world, we have a lot of listeners on the show that are in some sort of academic program right now. What advice do you have for them, for those interested in getting involved in either startup or joining industry, uh, either going into some sort of PhD or postdoctoral program or finishing one up. Any advice for those listeners?
1: I think I think a lot of advice actually. Yeah. Uh, I think that um first of all um Working at a startup is uh, in incredibly fun and rewarding. Uh, I I wish I had uh, done this sooner in my career, although I don't know for sure I was mature enough to to lead it. Uh, it it's been really exciting. Uh, I think one of the things I one of the things I've learned is that um, you asked a little while ago about um, you know the difference in culture difference between working at an established company like Bayered or like a, a company like Amris or or Triple Bar. Um, something I've realized is that the work is hard and, and challenging no matter what it is. And, uh, and so, you know, what, what, what I think is the most fun is when you have the, the degrees of freedom to solve those hard problems. And, and at, at a startup, there's, there's no more pure environment where uh, like every single person can have an impact on the final result, no matter what your role is. And I think that that, that, you know, given that problems are hard no matter where you work, uh, you know it's really even more fun to to have the degree of freedom that you have and the impact you can make at a startup. So, so I recommend it to anyone. Um, I, I, you know, there's often concern from people that um, startups are, are unstable or or is riskier. Um, my advice to people on that is that you can think of uh, kind of a, a career uh, stability and then a job stability, and you should kind of think of those things as separate. And you know, if you have a, a good skill set and 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 experience, your career is probably pretty stable. I think that I think that, and especially if you live somewhere like the Bay Area where, you know, or Boston or San Diego to a certain extent where there's like an industry, um, you, you can you can keep a steady career even if, even if your job is is changes over time. And so so I, I kind of advise people like not not like what's the worst that happens if your startup fails is you just go get another job. And, and people in our in our industry like the, the those skills are are in demand even as the industry is struggling a bit um, with some funding situations and other things I think that I think that the the skill sets are in demand and and uh, and so I, I recommend people go for it um, the the um, the other thing is I think around like how to get into the industry I think that um, for us anyway uh, like, like I think we're we're most interested in the kind of principles and, and uh, that people have developed more than the specific knowledge often like we, 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 uh, and so, you know, I think one of the most important things you learn in graduate school is this feeling of ownership of a project and that, you know, if you don't do it, no one's going to do it. And, um, and even though in companies we work on teams so closely, I still really think that that Feeling that that principle of ownership is really important, and it's hard to develop that. Um, you certainly can, but it's you, but it's hard to develop that outside of 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 grad school. So, if you're a more junior person in industry, maybe doesn't have a PhD, you haven't been through grad school, to, you know. I think proving that kind of ownership and and um, and that that f- developing that 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 trait of of um, like I'm going to get this done or I'm going to make sure it gets done uh, regardless is is a really important one, um, uh, and so you know the the most the thing I kind of look at if, when you know when we have when I'm looking at resume is is how how interested in are they is this person in working here and like and and i think that it's so easy actually believe it or not to kind of rise above the average by doing a little research on the company you're applying to and uh, maybe some people who work at the company and coming in with a little bit of knowledge goes goes huge distances to to making uh you know an employer excited about hiring someone
0: the career stability versus job stability Is such a great way to phrase it because I think, especially in this kind of like modern way of thinking where somebody doesn't get their degree and then work at a company for 30 years, I think career stability is something that, like you mentioned, if you're in like a tech or biotech hotspot, you have that, right? So it really takes the stress off of things and and it's much more important to have career stability than job stability. So we're going to highlight that. That's great.
1: OK, good. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I love I love it when I talk to a candidate and I feel like they have a mission in their career and they see me or us as a way to to uh, kind of leverage that mission. You know, like uh, that's that's not off putting at all for me. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, like I love to hear someone who really wants to solve a problem. And they're like, yeah, I think that working with you could be a way for me to solve that problem. Like that. That's a great that's a great uh, attitude, I think.
0: Yeah. And you could see, you could like kind of see their passion in that.
1: Right. Showing interest is just, it's surprising like how, um, how rare it is that, that someone like has done research on the company they're applying to work at, you know? And it's like, it's like, so I can't, I can't describe like how, like how happy it makes me when someone's like, oh, I read this paper that, the scientists who I saw works here did. And I think that's really interesting because blah, right? Or, you know, it's a, it's a, it means so much and it's hardly anyone does it. So you can stand out immensely by doing that as a candidate.
0: It's funny because sometimes when you see that, it's like, oh, they're, they're trying too hard. But then when you realize how so few candidates actually go and do that, you realize No, they're not like trying too hard. They're actually passionate here.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's how I read it. I I wouldn't read it as trying. Never. I would. That would never read to me as trying too hard. It would be. It would be like showing their true interest and passion, which is what we want. We can overcome a lot of hard problems with uh, interest and passion. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. And I'm I'm just laughing at how many I guess emails gotten in the past where it's just like dear sir or madam, and and it's it's just (laughs) it's not the way to approach (laughs) connecting for jobs. But okay, so. You can learn more about triple bar at triplebar.com. You could connect with Jeremy on LinkedIn. You know, Jeremy, are there are you guys hiring for open roles at Triple Bar right now?
1: We're always looking for, yeah, for for candidates. So we have a we have like open positions on our website. Um and you know, we we always keep a position on the website that's just general interest because we wanna hear from people who are excited by our mission and 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 just want to see what's available. So yes.
0: Cool, and I guess whether you're a startup or company with a biotech team or without a biotech team, you can also go to triplebar.com, and there's a, a section called "Partner with Us." Is that the best way to get in touch?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great way to get it, get in touch. Um, that's probably the easiest way.
0: Awesome. Okay. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for being on the show. Do you have any last insights for our listeners today?
1: Um, you know, I just I just think that. You know, we're kind of on the precipice as as a as a, a humanity. There, there's there's this age of biotech that is kind of about to happen, and um, and I and I, I'm. I'm really excited by it. I think that I think all the all the things are in place to really to, to kind of create this this new, uh, you know, we've had kind of, you know, different, uh, you know, Stone Age and, and Iron Age and and Agricultural Age and Information Age. And I think that I think biology is kind of poised to kind of be the next set of solutions that enable us to be healthier and uh, and to live, you know, kind of sustainably on the planet. And, and uh, we're happy to be part of it. And, um, you know, I think you know, I just couldn't be more optimistic
0: about that. Jeremy, thank you so much.
1: Alex, thanks a lot. Appreciate it.
0: This is your host, Alex, and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. This program was produced by H Media. See you soon.